everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is a brand new series. Last week, I had the pleasure to interview my partner, actually, Bob, and um, Bob's maybe going to I think he talked a little bit about it last year. He knows that better than I, but we we formally met seven years ago, we calculated, and we've been essentially doing business together since then in one way or another. And um, he has been a host, actually, on some of our other Economic Action Team sessions. He was a co-host of, of the Alternative Health concepts series that we did back in the first six months or so of Eats existence and and he actually a good friend of his was one of our course teachers Denise Stefan did you say Denise wants to come back Bob and actually do some more she does I think it'd be more nutrition focused the next time rather than just shopping but I'm not exactly sure what her new message is but I will well that'd be a good you and I'll talk about that separately yeah. but I don't want to take a whole lot more time here I want to turn this over to Bob so anyway last week we did an interview with Bob you could go back and listen to the replay or watch the replay of that if you'd like because he's just going to jump right into teaching here today and as you can see on the screen this is going to be a series we call it that or a course on the art of starting and sustaining in your business and Bob, last week you said maybe as much as 20, 20 weeks or more. You still feeling that way? I mean, it, it's going to be a little while. It's going to be a good sort of really well, deep course for you. Well, I have a lot of um, high-level information to discuss. I've got about 140 slides, and depending upon how much the audience interacts, um, we can go faster or a little slower. I'm assuming we're going to go 10 slides to 15 slides at most yep. a week. So okay. do the math, and that'll yep. depend on how much engagement slows us down. What kind of questions that may take us into a bit of a side uh, venture to get more specific? Um, I'm open to talking about people's businesses and how some of the information that I'm going to impart would impact them specifically. Uh, especially if it's illustrative to the rest of the audience. So I'm going to just say just a couple things more, and then it's all yours. This is going to be just like some of you, if you were if you were either in college, you're going to college. I'm going to call this a graduate school type of course. I don't mean it's all graduate level information necessarily, but type of course meaning just like Bob just said, you're going to be able to directly interact with him, and if you've got We'll call it a case study that is relevant for both yourself and the rest of the students. I would bet that Bob's going to employ it and talk about it, and you're going to get sort of personal consultation advice that is, you know, similar to what you'd get in a, in a, you know, graduate level class. Um, you're going to feel like you're in a, a relatively small group getting a very high level of information. So, with that said. Bob, I'm going to just turn it over to you. I'm going to put my 
put my speaker on mute here, and then uh, Mark and I will be helping with questions. I'll just throw this one out. If you guys have questions, put it in the Q&A. Um, Mark and I will make give Bob's attention to it if it's relevant for him to ask it, answer it while he's speaking, and otherwise he'll answer any and all questions at the end. We will try to keep this to an hour. If you have questions that go longer than an hour, we're not constrained on the back end, and I don't think Bob is hugely, so I mean, we could go a few minutes longer, and we're probably not going to cut you off if there's a good, good amount of questions at the end. So, Bob, take it over. Thank you, Wayne. Um, Wayne did mention that last week we had a kind of an in-depth interview, um, and a lot of my background was covered in that uh, session. So I, if you have questions about me, certainly go back and listen. I'm going to cover a little bit more of it today. Um, Wayne, let me ask you a question. Um, if people wanted to connect with me directly, can I give them a text number for them to connect Absolutely. with me? Absolutely. Whatever. We usually encourage our uh, coaches and teachers to give whatever the way they want to use to let people get in touch. So you just uh, you could just give it. Mark will put it into the chat so everybody right. will see it, and um, you know whatever you want to use. Okay. So if you have a specific question, specifically um, in intentionally if you are listening to this on a replay you won't be able to ask the questions live so you can send you a text to 520-222-9010 and ask whatever questions you want give me some time to respond I don't always see all those incoming texts particularly if it's off hours for me uh, but give me 24 hours and I'll respond back to you so that's one way to connect with me Mark, um, did you get that? Did you get that number, Mark? Yeah, he's got it up already. All right, great. Thanks. Okay. All right, good. All right, so I'm going to give you a lot of information. I am going to try to include a lot of specific anecdotes from my life and business, and uh, we're going to just take this from the top here. But the most important thing, the reason I asked the question for those of you who started with us before we went live about Wayne's history and getting to the point where he was sustaining a business, I was actually a little surprised by some of his answer in that we've always talked about how long it takes for an individual to make a business get started and create sustenance and sustainability. And I, you can see that I'm measuring things by longevity. And I went back through my history and yes, there were times all the time actually where I was profitable from day one but I never really looked at it as a business until I had a number of employees and I was able to step back from the activities to do only what I wanted to do and for which I was the most important part of the equation um, so there's a lot of things that you're going to be able to delegate and those are the things that I see as an essential ingredient to creating a business that you run rather than a business that runs you. So that's kind of the beginning of this process here. So, um, so this is School of Hard Knocks and how I got my experience. And the one question that always comes up, if I had only knew then, and anybody who's ever started a business would always say, and looking back, God, if I had only known that back then, all of the time and energy I could have saved, all the money that I could have saved, all of the left and right turns that took me off 
target and those are the things that um, we want to avoid as much as possible. So one of the things that I always talk about is um, that a wise person learns from his mistakes, a smart person learns from his, from his mistakes, a wise person learns from others' mistakes. So what we're going to talk about here are the mistakes that people have made that will allow us to make sure that we're navigating a path with the fewest amount of obstacles. What that really is going to look like in your specific business, but I'm open to answering any of your specific questions. So the goal of this series is to impart enough wisdom so you won't have to ever say, if I only knew then. Um, So things keep changing, and one of the other points that I want to make is that this is now. A lot of my experience was back then, and one thing I can tell you is that change is happening faster and faster and faster. So that means that as an entrepreneur, you have to be very flexible. You may start down a road and you're going to find yourself in need of a revision of your idea. So it's important for you to be flexible enough to see the path you're on isn't going to work to the extent you wanted it to and that you are really interested in uh, making it be successful by being flexible enough to make changes. Sometimes it's, uh, it's pretty dramatic ones. And I don't know if any of you are into watching uh, television, but let me just tell you one show that I find really interesting because there's a lot of messages there that you never see them if you're only looking at the funny part of it, and it's a show called Silicon Valley. And for those of you who didn't listen to last week, my background was I was in the insurance business in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, and my business kind of grew up with Silicon Valley. So... I was involved with a lot of startups uh, from 19, you know, in the 80s all the way through until when I sold the business in 2005. I still have partners that are still in business that are still dealing with those types of companies, and Silicon Valley has become the entire Bay Area now that goes from Napa all the way down to, um, you know, I don't know how far south, it probably goes all the way down to Gilroy and maybe further south. So you're looking at 200 miles of uh, north to south and equal amount east to west of uh, businesses that kind of start in a garage and grow up, and that's what Silicon Valley is about. But there's a lot of lessons in that show that uh, I encourage you to watch and uh, enjoy yourself. I'm also going to give you a couple of the uh, references that I found the most valuable um, and the most fun to listen to. So if you're interested in expanding your knowledge, uh, here they are. Uh, there's a, a book called, uh, this is by Scott Adams, who was, I think he was the guy that did Dilbert, but I could be wrong. I know he was a cartoonist. How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big. Um, and then a couple of books by Guy Kawasaki, who was in the beginning of Apple. Um, Selling the Dream, How to Promote Your Product, Your Company, or Your Ideas, and Make a Difference. Uh, pitch Anything, which I'm going to talk a lot about pitching later on after we get through the basics so you know what it is you're supposed to pitch. Um, and finally, Moneyball. Uh, pitch Anything was by Oren Klaff, K-L-A-F-F, -F, and Moneyball was uh, Michael Lewis, who went on to 
write other books, including uh, The Big Short. And I don't know if any of you have seen that movie. I would encourage you to read the book. It's much more in-depth and uh, entertaining. Oh, and one more that's not on here, and I would not encourage you to watch the movie, but I would encourage you to read the book, is The Wolf of Wall Street. And there's a lot of stuff about greed and selling and so forth in that book. And part of what we're going to be talking about is how greed is important to an extent, but there's other things that are more important. And I assume this community is going to be one of those where greed is going to be a secondary issue, although you need to have a little bit of that. Okay, so let's move on here. So we talked a little bit about me. I've been a serial entrepreneur. I started in the insurance business, founded four or five companies along the way, had a fair amount of success uh, even into the internet age, um, and sold my last company to the largest, uh, one of the five largest insurance brokers in the world, uh, based out of Chicago, and that company still exists to this day, but now part of the larger organization. Now, the reason I sold was because I was an entrepreneur at heart, and I saw that that business was evolving into a business that was going to be so highly regulated that being an entrepreneur was no longer really going to be a viable aspect of that business, and it wasn't something I wanted to spend my life at anymore. Um, since then, I've spent time with Wayne working on various uh, internet uh, experiences. Okay, my audio has been lost. Can I Anybody can hear me, let me know. Yeah, you, you froze. And Bob, sometimes you'll see that. You froze for just a second. We probably okay. lost. And it happened once before, just for a brief time. But you're fine. Um, you might just repeat the last five seconds of what you, what you said there. OK. Uh, what I was just saying is that in, since I sold that last company in 2005, so that's been 12 years now, by the way, one of my motivations in life was to never work for anybody else. And that kind of started with me early on when I moved to San Francisco from the East Coast. I'd worked for an insurance company. And then I moved and went to work for an insurance broker. I lasted there like 18 months. And I realized at that point in time that I was in the right space, just not in the right function for me, and that I was more interested in being my own boss and doing the things that I felt I wanted to do, most importantly, when I wanted to do them. So that was my motivating factor throughout my life, really was to stay in control of my life and not have others dictate for me. So that's me. I'm not normal. Uh, and Wayne and I share a lot of those same characteristics that we're very independent and we're willing to uh, take the bumps along the way that being totally independent uh, creates. And so building and starting and building a business is really around the idea of recruiting others to your quest and making those people believe in it as much as you do and to be able to build an organization around whatever that quest is. Um, so I've been in the insurance business now. I've been in the insurance business for 30 plus years. And in the last uh, 10 years, I've been in and out of real estate investing, some of it very successfully. Some of it uh, was giving me a lot of stress because of the recession. I happened to be deep in into it at the time. And I'm definitely uh, continuing to stay in that area and, and recovering. Wayne and I worked on internet marketing companies and part of what I'm doing here really is to be able to support him in this eat community 
because it's my belief that what you guys are after, which is changing the world, creating sustainability, feeding the planet, all are worthy goals, but it cannot be done by yourself, nor can it be done if there's no product, uh, profit motive to be able to create sustainability, which I'm saying equals longevity. And I've been an investor as well. I've invested in a lot of companies, and I'll tell you some stories around that as we continue. Okay, so here's my big takeaway from my life, okay? And that is that people are going to make or break your plan. So you need a great defensible idea, which is your product or your service. You need people, and you need a message. And part of that message, you need to be able to test that message, change your message, and continue to repeat your message until um, it really becomes viable. I heard somebody. Okay. Um, so a great leader is an evangelist for success. And the rest of us need to find one, become one, or fail trying. Hmm, interesting. I changed that from failure to trying to fail, fail trying, but it didn't come through. So before we move on, I want to preempt something you're going to realize later on when we get to the art of the pitch, and that is I'm violating the rules that I set out for that uh, pitching, and the reason is because I'm not pitching, I'm teaching. So I do want to say that I have been online doing webinars for some time. I continue to, I got out of it for a little bit. I missed the opportunity to be in front of an audience. I've almost always been interviewing someone else so that I wasn't the main attraction. So this is a new thing for me. So I'm hopeful that you'll be patient with me as I try to impart this information. And I'm really hopeful that I get a lot of questions so that we can elaborate on some of the, the messages. So we haven't really talked about anything more except where we're going from here. And so the next, now we're going to get in to the art of starting right. So as a general rule, um, I want to spend 45 minutes giving presentation information, which will leave us about 15 minutes for Q&As. But Mark, if there's any questions that are coming in that you think are germane, just stop me and ask the question, and I'll be happy to address it. Um, the beginning of this is the most important, because if you start right, you have a chance to succeed and sustain. If you start wrong, you could be putting yourself in a position where you're always fighting um, the, the um, need to go back and fix things. So that's why we're going to spend a lot of time here. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to tell you a lot of stories. Um, and I'm expecting that this section alone, this art of starting right, is going to take at least two sessions. And it could take three, depending upon how many questions that you may have. So the art of starting right. It's easier to start right correctly than to fix things later. Why? Because it's human to think about what's next and not what needs to be fixed. So I have a little story that I want to tell you, and this goes back to an investment that I made. Um, and this is uh, right around 2000, I'm thinking, because the those of you who have been in the investment world at any point, any period of time will know that there are certain dates in history that have some dramatic 
um, event associated with it. So obviously 2011 is one of those, but now we're going to go back even further than that in 2001. Remember I was in San Francisco, we were talking about technology companies that were um, blowing up and um, hedge, not hedge funds, uh, investment bankers were throwing money at them left and right. And I had started a company at that point in time that put me right in the firestorm of what the investment bankers were telling these companies to do. And if you go back to that period of time, there was no internet commerce business. It was, how do you make money at this stuff? You're getting people to come to your website, but there was no profit that was ever associated or business part of it. And the investment bankers were saying, well, don't worry about it. Get eyeballs to your website. The rest will follow. Well, I was worried about that. Um, so in 2001, the first tech bubble hit. And uh, I had just sold one of the companies that I'd started to an internet, to a technology company that was going to revise the, the space, uh, the cloud client management business for insurance brokers. Um, they had just signed a lease in San Francisco for I don't know how many thousands of square feet at a price that six months after the tech bubble dropped was 10 times what the marketplace <laughs> was charging. So that's, what, that's how fast things could change and how it impacted this company's business. They had been funded um, and they had connected, they had committed to this long-term lease, which they had eventually buy out, buy their way out of. And if you, I've mentioned Silicon Valley, you'll go back and you'll find that exact scenario happening in one of the episodes where they started trying to get uh, a, a public image uh, rather than trying to do the things that were important, which was sustain the business and create an income. Uh, one other story uh, with, about doing things right was one of the investments I made, which was in a golf startup company. Now, this all happened right about the same time. So I invested some money in this company because they came out with some technology, and I'm a golfer. I was really intrigued by it. Um, and the guys that I knew that put it together had made a, com made a purchase commitment from the owners of the company that they wanted a period of a year to market it. If they could get the sales up, and this company was doing a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, if they could get the sales up to over a million dollars a year, then the buyout would kick in. So this was when the Golf Channel was really in its early stages. They started doing infomercials, late night infomercials on the, on the Golf Channel. And sure enough, they ramped sales up dramatically to the point where the company had a difficult time um, fulfilling orders because they were coming in faster than they had the materials on hand to fulfill. Um, now, in the startup of this investment company, they started it as a uh, partnership, a limited partnership. And if anybody knows anything about tax law, a partnership has to pay tax on revenues that come through the door, not profits. Um, or maybe it was profits. But they didn't have the right to defer paying taxes on it. 
So the point is that all of the individual investors in this company, as these sales kept coming through, um, forced them to have to pay us money so we could pay our taxes on the investment that we had made rather than be able to turn that money back into the company so that they could produce the product and deliver on the sales. Um, the idea was that this company was eventually going to go public and another golf company beat them to the market right at the time the tech bubble was uh, happening and that company set a bad standard for any other golf companies going public. Long story short, they never went public. The money that they took in from the investors all was squandered and the company um, eventually went out of business. So if they had done what they needed to do in the beginning as they started ramping up sales and converted the company into a corporation so they had the ability to hold on to that cash for reinvestment purposes, which would have offset the tax liability, the company may have sustained itself and continued. So again, they didn't have the foresight, in this case hindsight, to look back and fix that problem at the right time. And things just got a hand out of hand way too fast for them, and hence that story uh, has a somber ending for me. So. Mark, do we have any questions that anybody has that fit in here? Um, right now, I don't see any questions, so you can continue. Okay. All right. So, how to start right? Well, the, the real question here is to ask the right questions so that you are doing the right things. So, we're going to spend a lot of time, as I said, and regardless of whether the size of your company is very small or you have high ambitions, um, these concepts are going to still apply to you. So if you get it right, your venture will have legs. And if you don't, you have a chance of not being able to sustain it. Um, but if you do, your venture can become a model that empowers others to try. And that alone can change the world. So now let's start talking about what some of these questions are. So when you come to a premise, you have to say, so if that's the case, then what? Is there a better way? And if it's possible, why don't we make it? So these are the kinds of questions that an individual that's trying to start with an idea should be asking themselves. And you'll see that when you spot or predict a trend and wonder about the audience, about the consequences, then these are the kinds of questions that you should be asking yourself. So let me uh, give you an example from my own history, and it's kind of just illustrative more than anything else, is that I, for personal reasons, I had to start early on in life uh, making a living before I even got out of college. So I went into the insurance business because I was recruited by somebody and I thought it sounded like a good idea. And in the long run, it was. Uh, in the short run, I wasn't so sure. So I started out selling life insurance, knew that that was not a long-term path for me at the age of 21. If I had been 41, different story um, because of credibility issues and the audience that you're going to be dealing with who can afford and need um, and from there, I just this, the, the, the most attractive part of the insurance business is for me 
Whereas one, I was an independent. I could do whatever I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And that was attractive to me. And the second thing was residual income. So whether you know this or not, if you have an insurance customer, every time that customer pays a premium, there's a commission that's paid to the agent or broker that sold that particular insurance, um, which means you have a trail of income that continues. So those were the two things that were attractive to me. Selling life insurance was not. Um, and so I decided that I was going to go into the part of the business, which was who is buying insurance because they have to, and who is buying insurance because they have to with the company's money, not their own. So there's not an emotional decision. It's a business decision. So building a business relationship for me seemed to be the better way for me personally. And so I chose to go into the employee benefits side of the insurance business and my entire insurance career was in that particular area. So basically the questions I was asking myself was, okay, where's the market? How does that apply to me? How do I fit into that market? Is there a better way that I can do it than the people that are already in that business? And I continued to ask that question over and over again. So many people have had mentors in their lives. I was always one of those people that never really had somebody, but I emulated other people who were successful in the business that I saw success in. And my goal was to really do it better uh, or at least do it my way. So, so if, was it possible? And I went and did it. So that's just an idea of what could happen. Um, I got something else here. Um, okay, so another example is from people that started, the, you know, from the smartphone where you're taking pictures and you have all these pictures on your phone, hence Instagram was developed in I really don't understand what's going on with this internet connection here, but it sounds like you've lost me again. Yeah, you are frozen for a second, but you're fine right now. Please. Okay, so should I just ignore that when that happens? Right. Yeah, okay. So you know, maybe I'm going to shut my webcam off just to see if that helps the situation. Still sharing my webcam. All right. All right. So I, I shut my webcam off. So if you need to see me, if anybody not, feels bad about that, let me know. But I think it's just going to be better for uh, my connectivity. Okay. So now we're going to get into companies. Let me see. There's one other point. Okay. So. In order to sustain for the long time is that we have to look at creating a great company. But how does a great company become a great company? So it's answering the, the simple questions about looking at a market and understanding um, what your, where your idea fits into the marketplace. So where's the market leader weak? If your company never existed, the world be, would be worse off because. And I think for most of the people that are in this community, I'm thinking the last question is probably the most germane 
because there may not be a market leader in their space, depending upon what your business idea is. But there are three conditions that make a market leader weak. I'm going to give you some feedback, some ideas. So when a market, when a leader is committed to the current business model, so for instance, um, IBM was committed to uh, making computers, this is going back a ways, making computers the way they thought they should be made. And Dell came along and said, we'll make it however any way you want it. And so Dell became a de facto um, leader in selling personal computers. Or where, secondly, where customers are dissatisfied. So Blockbuster stores, you had to go to the store, get the DVD, um, take it back, pay late fees if you didn't bring it back on time, inconvenience. Netflix Flix started delivering them to your door, and now they stream them right to your TV so you don't even have to go out of the house anymore. I'm curious on that particular in, um, illustration on what percentage of people actually still get the DVDs, and I'm thinking it's only the people that require Blu-ray players and so forth where the they're trying to blow the doors off their speakers that are still trying to get the uh, stuff um, uh, except from streaming or they don't have a good internet connection. Um, and then finally, the market leader is milking the cash cow. This continues to this day with Microsoft and its office products. Um, and another one that comes to mind is Quicken. Uh, both of them have a product that they sell annual subscriptions to or subscriptions to. Um, I still have Office on my computer, but I haven't updated it since 2007 um, and using Google Docs more and more. In fact, what you're looking at right now comes from the Google Sheets. So I usually would use PowerPoint, but uh, I have found this is just as good and doesn't have quite the functionality, but it certainly gets the job done. So um, any other questions before we move on? Okay. So finding your sweet spot. So that's the intersection between your expertise, the business opportunity, and where you have passion for something. And where all those things intersect, that is where the sweet spot is, and that is the market that you should be focused on. So expertise is the sum total of what you and your founders think you can do. Even though you don't have a complete team, you must have core knowledge and ability to create something in order to create a startup. Opportunity, there's two different kinds of opportunity, existing or potential. Either is okay. But do a reality check on market size for foreseeable future, you know, and that is how far in the future can you see? Um, and that's, you know, a year to two years maybe. Um, there are times when there's no way to prove the opportunity exists and you just have to believe. If you build it, they will come. And finally, there's passion. What comes first, success or passion? Well, it's easier to have passion for a business that takes off. However, success may take a long time. So passion is required to see you through. This is really important and one little adage that sticks in my mind is that if you have something that you love to do, it'll never feel like work and you will continue to pursue it beyond the point where others would give up. 
And that stick to is what it takes. What I'm saying is that a real long-term business is going to have ups and downs, and you're going to need something to see you through just besides making money, although money is important. Okay. Now we're talking about starting. I mentioned early on how important people are. So this is about building a team. And Wayne and I have been successful in that area, and you will need to be too. One-man bands never succeed in long term. Um, so the first follower is what transforms the lone nut into a leader. I, I have a video here. I'm going to see if it works. So ladies and gentlemen, at TED we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons from it. First, of course you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. <laughs> but what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial role. He's going to show everyone else how to follow. Now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal. So now it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them, plural. Now there he is calling to his friends. Now if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself. It takes guts to stand out like that. The first follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader. <laughs> and here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers, because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people and immediately after, Three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. <laughs> so notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. So those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out. They won't be ridiculed, but they will be part of the in crowd if they hurry. So. <laughs> Over the next minute, you'll see all of the, uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But let's recap some lessons from this. So first, if you are the type, like the shirtless dancing guy, that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> okay. but. We might have missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson, if you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over-glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy was first and he'll get all the credit, but it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a leader. So as we're told that we should all be leaders, that would be really ineffective. If you really care about starting a movement, have the courage to follow and show others how to follow. And when you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in. And what a perfect place to do that, Ted. Thanks. <laughs>
All right. So basically what the point of all that is really is that being a, doing something by yourself is really difficult to sustain. Not to mention the fact that not everybody has the same type of skill sets. So looking for a soulmate, somebody that believes in what you're doing, and I guess I could point to Wayne and myself as having similar uh, but different, we have similar visions but different attributes that we bring to uh, anything that we do together. Uh, but we do have that vision. Um, we do have an interest in that, a commitment to seeing it through. So successful companies are usually started and become successful the with the contribution of at least two soulmates. After the fact, people may recognize one as the innovator, but it takes a team to make a new venture. Um, the differences are also important because we'll have different expertise, experience, um, so there's a difference. Expertise is what you've learned from your experience, but having those experiences are also anecdotal to create illustrations of points that you've made or things that you've learned along the way. Uh, the orientation could be different and certainly the perspective will be different. And having more than one perspective is usually the best way to avoid creating a problem in the long run. So a few words of wisdom about your finding your soulmate. Um, don't rush. It's really important. It's sort of like internet dating. You need to find somebody that you're going to be compatible with and you want, you want to be able to sustain that compatibility through the ups and downs. Um, and never, ever, just like in a uh, dating situation, add a founder to enhance fundability. So when one person has got financial resources um, and that's the main reason that they're coming to the table, eventually that relationship is going to fall apart because the person who's got the money thinks that their money is more valuable than it is and the person who has all of the energy and the ideas and so forth is going to feel like they're giving away too much because all they did was ask this person to join to get money. So, and then finally, this is really important, is always assume you're going to get the best results, uh, but plan for the worst. So back to fundamentality, fundamentality, one of the questions would be, would I hire this guy if I did not need funding? And if the answer is no, move on. All right, we're coming up on the end. I'm just looking for the right place to stop and start taking questions. So I'm going to go a couple slides in here. So the next part is make meaning. And in this community, I can only assume you're all at least as interested in making the world a better place as you are in making money. While this attitude is exactly what it takes to make a great company, it is equally important to stay financially viable through the inevitable ups and downs of business cycles. If you make meaning, you'll probably also make money. Now, while this doesn't exactly fit, there's a point that I have to make here, which is naming your venture. So 
I think it does fit because here we are, what is this your, your venture about? But you also have to be able to anticipate you communicating what your company is. So a word about naming your venture. This is a critical decision and it's one that you must get right. It's very, very difficult to overcome. Back to Silicon Valley, you're going to see them really hating the name of their company and how they are. They had they find nothing but problems with trying to change it. So it's important that you get it right. And there are three components to getting it right. One, does your name say what you do? Does it convey the meaning of the company. Sometimes you have to create meanings that you didn't didn't expect would happen or maybe you did expect would happen but it was going to take a long time to happen. Best case I can think of is Google. Uh, what is Google? And now Google is a verb. You don't do an internet search. You Google whatever it is you're looking for unless you're using Yahoo but most people I know use Google. Uh, so there's a good example of someone who created uh, their name, but most companies, especially small ones, want to create something that is going to convey at least some idea of what they're doing. Um, is your name available? So you have to create an entity, and there are ways that you have to you check into your local state's organizational laws. You may have to look at U.S. Um, intellectual property laws and so forth just to make sure that the word you're using is available. And another word of caution about that is you need to check other languages and I'm going to say this incorrectly but I'm going to try colloquialisms which is how other people use a word. So um, you know not that you would use words like bollocks but you know that has a word that has a meaning in, in England that maybe the people in the US don't know but with all the British TV we get these days I'm sure everybody knows what it is and um, and there's there's certain other words like that so important to understand how other languages may treat your word um, that you use to name your company and then the most important part of all is the URL available because if you decide on a name and you can't get the internet site that that name uh, is is part is part of your name, uh, then you're going to have a difficult time overcoming the issue of the person that does have the name has the URL for that name. You're either going to have to buy it from them, or you're going to have mm -hmm. to try to distinguish yourself from whoever that company is. So, let's see what's the next one. Ah, this is a good place to stop. So. Make mantra. So now here's going to be a little uh, exercise and we're going to come back to this. Um, and I may throw a poll up before we leave. So, so we need to create a three or four word mantra that explains the meaning your company is striving for. So what kind of meaning does your company make to your customers? And if someone asked your employee what your company does, what would they say? He or she say. So it needs to be short and sweet and memorable. This is not a mission statement. Um, it needs to be positive and it needs to be outward focus. So here's a couple from the world that we all know about. So Nike, which is uh, an authentic 
athletic performance. That's what their mantra is. And then just do it. That comes much later after people have understood what Nike was about. Uh, Disney is fun family entertainment. Pretty much says it all. Starbucks, rewarding everyday moments. And finally, eBay, democratize commerce. So those are just some examples from the world that we all know about. And now the exercise for you to leave from today's session is, what is the name of your company? What is the meaning that your company makes to your customers? And what can you do to create a three or four word mantra that explains the meaning of your company so that with everybody in your company knowing it, they will so that everybody in the company will know what that mantra is so that it'll help codify what your company does. So with that, I am going to stop my presentation part and we're going to just start taking some questions. So let's take a look. There's, what is this? All right. Do we have any questions? Yeah, we have, it's really a comment from Brian Powell. Uh, it says, most banks that lend money for businesses will require a business plan submitted which makes you look and report many factors for success. Also, some um, counties have a few small business support that can help put business plan together and get um, in contact with the right people. Right. All right, so what we're doing here is starting at a bit, a little bit higher level. We are going to talk very much uh, about funding your organization. And bank loans are, generally speaking, not where a startup is getting their funding. So when you are asking a question about a bank loan, it's because you already have a sustainable business. And that business needs to be able to demonstrate its ability to repay a, a loan from a bank. And yes, a business plan may be required. Um, and whether it's the SBA or whether it's a traditional business lender, they're going to want to have uh, a lot of demonstration of your ability to repay. Um, the SBA also does provide support um, in the way of business consulting, and it's generally free. So you can certainly look to them for help, but they're not, neither are going to be very helpful in the embryonic phases of starting a business. They're going to be more helpful after you've already gone through most of what we're going to be talking about. How you, I don't know if anybody was on earlier on, but Wayne was talking about how he funded his businesses, how we funded our business together. We both had to put our own money into be able to support the business until it got to the point where they were sustaining themselves. Then once the sustainability of the business happens, that's when funding becomes options. There's still a, a, 
several different ways to fund a business before you get to using a bank loan and I would not uh, say what is the right answer what's the wrong answer it's whatever is going to happen for each and every one of you who is starting a business um, business plans generally speaking until you get to a bank are not really even required anymore um, but um, you certainly want to have something that outlines what your company is about so I tend to use PowerPoint to be able to explain you know what the business is about what the market is how we're going to penetrate the market um, what the competition is what the assumptions are behind the business plan that are going to create the, the metrics we're going to get a, into a lot of those issues as we get down the road here so Rome wasn't built in a day the answers to all of the startup questions that we're going to have to address as we build the business can't be answered in one session um, I'm happy to um, answer any specific questions that anybody has far down the road for most of you any other questions um. I'll let uh, people type in their questions. I'll give them a couple of minutes and um, just like to uh, quickly announce that uh, all the slides will be available for downloads. We also have a couple of polls set up and we'll probably do that in a future session. Uh, Bob, if you um, agree on that. Um, and let me ask a question about the polls. Um, will people on replay be able to uh, answer the poll questions no they cannot they can see the results but um, people live people that are coming live will be able to participate okay that, uh, so here's here's what I'm gonna do then because I do want people that are gonna see the replays to answer the poll questions. I'm gonna show the poll questions and then okay. I'll create a um, what's the word I'm looking for a questionnaire online that people can answer the questions online using SurveyMonkey. Um, right. I'll give you the link, Mark. You can send it out when you're sending the slides out. Right, okay. All right, so here are the questions. We'll start with them. Do you want me to put the poll uh, questions up right now? Yeah, just put the questions up so they can see them. I don't know how, so how about me oh. launching them. How's that? Yeah, yeah. It's up there. Can I see it? Yep. Okay, so there's one. Do you have an existing business? And people can answer that right now, and I'll just give them a couple of minutes before I close and show the results. Okay. Less than half of you have voted, so come on. So if you haven't voted, I'm going to assume the answer is no. There we go. Okay, so let me close it and share the results. No, don't share the results. We're going to save that until we do the... Um, okay. just, just launch the second question, and then I'm going to put these same questions up on SurveyMonkey so we get more people to weigh in. All right, so here's the second one. 
Okay. All right. I think that's good for now. Thank you, everybody, for uh, your participation today. If there's any final questions, I'll take them now. Otherwise, I will um, put the questions up on a survey monkey, and I'll give it to you, Mark. You can send it out with the slides to everybody that's going to watch this on replay, and we can get them to answer as well. That sounds good. And here's a comment from Robert. He says, thanks for today's session uh, for the PDF about the reading suggestions, too. Right. Okay, people, you have a hand, uh, handout. You can download right now a PDF of content um, that uh, Bob put together, and we'll have more um, handouts in this session. We are adding more features to this webinar. So, yeah, thanks, Robert, for the comment. And anybody else uh, type in your questions? If not, Bob, you can uh, have your closing comments and then say goodbye. Okay, so when we pick up next week, we'll do a short summary of what we covered today, and we're going to pick up with uh, business models uh, next week. Um, I'm just going to tell you that there are eight or I think about 13 different major uh, sessions that we're going to go through, um, and there's going to be a lot of food for thought. So if you already have a business, you may still see some questions that come through this that make you want to rethink some of the things that you've done or at least go back and uh, tweak a few of the things that you've done. And if you're just getting started, it'll give you the um, roadmap to avoid major landmines. I can't uh, help anybody avoid every single one of them because everybody's business is different. Uh, we are dealing in a very regulated world these days and so you are going to need to be responsible for knowing what the regulations are in your state and in your industry and complying with those. If you fail to do any of those things, including pay the taxes that you're required, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. So um, you, know, you got to stick to your knitting. Make sure that you do dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Um, stay out of California if you can, but if you have to be in California, be very careful. It's a very difficult place to do business. It's not business friendly. So that's it from me. I lived, I worked in California, and now I work in Arizona, and Arizona is much easier. Well, thank it. you, Bob. Uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks, and we have a couple of more people saying great uh, webinar. Uh, David here says some great information. Thanks. Thank you. And Chi says thanks for the great session. So excited for this session. This is so yeah. Thanks everybody for coming, okay. and we hope to. I'll uh, see you again uh, on our next session. So uh, goodbye, everyone, and thanks, Bob, again. Okay. We hope to see That's you next week. Okay, same bat time, same bat station next right. Wednesday. Yep. Thank you Bye -bye. all. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT Community Podcast.